0: Today we're going to talk about antimatter. And before we start diving into antimatter, which is a very interesting protocol on its own, Jack, do you want to introduce yourself a little?
1: Uh, yeah. So hi everyone. Um, my name is Jack. I'm the founder of Antimatter. So I came from an actual economic background. So I'm a game theory major in college. So I wrote a paper on game theoretical analysis on smart contract and also the implementation on the blockchain adoption side. And last year I founded the first decentralized auction protocol, Balance Finance. So I invented the entire auction space on blockchain. And this year I saw the pain point of decentralized derivatives and then I started to work on project of Antimatter. That's a basic background.
0: What about options is so interesting to you?
1: So I was looking at the financial derivative space, right? So I'm trying to find a way to facilitate everyone to use, essentially to create a new trading experience to fulfill the leverage need of general public without going through the traditional route. So the way I found it through option, of course, there are like futures and others. And then basically I found doing it through the option way is more fit in our model and our idea, which I can explain later, but yeah, that's basic thinking.
0: I think there's a lot of, there's a boom in options market or like there's a boom in option protocols in the DeFi space. There was a couple of months where we dive into a lot of different option protocols because the way we are pricing options today, which is just a Black Shows model, is good enough, but not efficient enough. And I think there this is where crypto can come in. This is where tokenization can come in to look at new models of how to make pricing options more efficient. And I think this is something that you guys are looking to do.
1: Yeah, so basically, um, if you look at the DeFi history, right, let's start from Uniswap. So what Uniswap did is only they created one equation, like as simple that everyone can understand. And basically, they just go for the abnormal up, up route, right? Basically, if you're trading on Uniswap, you can reach your goal, which is you can buy the spot price and provide market making, and it's completely different from the traditional like central exchange experience. And same for compound, like when you're lending and borrowing something, it's still very different from like, traditional lending and borrowing, and it's, smart, it's through smart contracts uh, contingency and automatic execution. So if you follow the trend, none of the successful DeFi mimic the way Centralized exchange uh, works, so we think there's still a lot of imaginations and still a lot of work to be done in the derivative space, so that people forget about like the old centralized exchange experience. I forget about setting up your leverage and putting a time frame for for the order, and either be liquidated or liquidate others. So that's the the whole picture like the whole purpose of this project.
0: And the word antimatter is very interesting because antimatter is used in physics to explain, you know, to even out the amount of matter particles in the space. So how does antimatter come into perspective of what options do? Because options exist in a very different world than spot prices. So why antimatter?
1: So basically, there are two pieces for antimatter. First, the idea is actually inspired by the the bull token and bear token traded on Binance before, right? I thought I thought they got this, this list. Essentially, they allow you to buy this token, which have 3x leverage on BTC price. And basically, a lot of exchanges start to do it uh, and they create their own market. But the problem is it's, it's a good financial product. Like for normal people, if they don't want to go to the derivative section of Binance, they can just go to spot. And buy this on BDC bull 3X and then they can get leverage to Bitcoin. And there hasn't been any product offer in DeFi space for such derivatives. And also, I think this is actually a very useful on-chain tools, And turns out when you try to build the bull token, it has to come to a pair if you want to do it in DeFi way because. It's essentially two forces against each other, right? You're betting towards each other, which is the bull token and the bear token. So that's why Antimatter, the name come from, because whenever you create a bull token, there's always a negative token coming out, and the negative token is basically um, against the bull token. That's also the feature where, in our system, when you create an option, you just create a pair of the option. Which is uh, if you are bullish or bearish on uh, any assets.
0: So, for everyone who's listening, what Jack was talking about is leverage token that was created by FTX first, and then Binance also created leverage tokens like bull and bear functions where you can 3x your bet, whether it's a bull market or a bear market. And that worked out relatively well because they gave people leverage. But at the end of the day, it was still on a centralized exchange. And until Kind of like now, you don't really have that much of derivatives in the DeFi space. So the leverage that you get is still very basic. And then, you know, DeFi was still peaking, it was still starting up. So we didn't have that kind of tools available. So this is where antimatter comes in, where antimatter can solve that.
1: Yeah, there is another point. Basically, I'm not a believer of basically if you mimic the centralized exchange way. And do it on blockchain. You can be successful. So the reason is very simple. People who are trading derivatives, they're on leverage, right? They care less about your technology. I mean, there are two groups of people. One group is very experienced traders. They can set up very sophisticated leverage, like 10x with a time period, right? Uh, choose a time period for expiration. And those are people. I don't. Think they will use DeFi as a complementary to the central exchange trading, because blockchain is still very uh, limited in terms of storage and computation, and derivatives does need a lot of that. And also, if you're building a DeFi which is very similar user experience to, for example, Binance, I'm not thinking people, at least a large amount of people, will come to you because trading leverage everyone's nervous, this is the first thing. And whenever there's like abnormal price movement, on central exchange, they they have some mechanisms, right? And you can go to customer service to dispute, but for DeFi, if you're getting liquidated, you're getting liquidated and you have no one to go to. So essentially, psychologically, people tend to basically stick with central exchange in terms of derivatives. And that's why you see a lot of protocol their interface is exactly the same as contract changes and they just didn't get any traction no matter how well their design is.
0: So basically you're saying that for these derivatives traders you either go to centralized exchange because that's safer instead of having every entire mechanism that's done on chain or you basically just trade your regular assets and not have that much exposure to the blockchain space. In that case then Why build antimatter where it is a DeFi protocol? How do you compete against the centralized exchange and the risks in blockchain in that sense?
1: Okay, so basically first, our approach is um, completely different from centralized exchange derivatives because what we create isn't offered by centralized exchange. So that put us in a good position because what we are targeting is Those people who have access to DeFi and who want to get leverage, and basically they want a more easier to understand product model, which can fulfill their need. And so that basically separates from the centralized exchange derivatives or any other decentralized derivatives models.
0: And the product that you're offering is this thing called perpetual options, where you have exposure towards an underlying asset and the way you are tokenizing the exposure is in the form of an option yes
1: um exactly so basically the way is you create a price range and then you can basically generate the two tokens one positive and one negative and the two tokens both have leverage and both the price will move in direction of what the underlying asset moves. So essentially, if Ethereum goes up, for example, a dollar, we want the call token to go up more than a dollar, right? And then we we reach our goal. Essentially, if if you want to get more exposure to Ethereum price, you just go to to buy the call token. Like, you don't set your leverage. The leverage is uh, embedded in the token. That's the hard part. And also similar to the call token, you also have a reverse price mechanism, which is basically the pool token price. The pool token price will always go against Ethereum price at any price point.
0: So before we dive deeper into understanding, you know, the price floor, price ceiling, the price range in which tokens and assets can be traded, can you take a step back and explain what is perpetual options?
1: So it's basically, uh, it gives you the right to buy something. In theory, perpetual option is, it gives you right to buy something at a certain price and with no expiration, right? Um, so this is a traditional option. But for our model, we made a little bit adjustment. It's basically when you hold the bull token, the bull token you're, you're comparing it with the price for, right? You always have the right to buy something cheaper. And that's what the call token price is valued at. And also, this is a perpetual, meaning there's no time frame. And that that also link us to the feature of no liquidation because if you're holding the call token and if you're not basically uh, selling it, you will not be liquidated. So whether getting liquidated or not is your decision. It's not like the order's decision to make.
0: So basically, perpetual options is a derivative. It just means that you have the option to buy or sell a specific underlying. So let's say, let's take ETH. When you have an option, you can have a call option, which is to buy ETH at a certain price or a put option to sell ETH at a certain price. So this is something that we see in traditional finance. We see in Binance, we see in FTX. It's all over there. The difference now is that these can be perpetual. In traditional finance, in traditional options, you always have an expiration. So by the end of this month, you don't have the luxury to say that I want to buy or sell ETH at this price. The difference that you're bringing in is that, hey, you can do that. You can do that for a very long time and you can basically decide to want to buy or sell and there is no expiration. So that is essential what perpetual options are. And this is a very unique product. You don't have it anywhere, just on antimatter right now.
1: And also um, another reason we go for perpetual isn't, it's fancy. There are two things, right? Uh, philosophically, I think everything on DeFi should be perpetual because think about it, we are already on blockchain and basically blockchain is an everlasting um, stuff, right? Infrastructure and it doesn't have a time frame. I mean, the block number is a time frame, but in terms of decentralization, as long as there are people managing it, it can go forever. So when you put a financial product, you really shouldn't put like time factor in the equation and look at compound it doesn't have like a time factor within their equation or like uniswap so we will take out the time factor from the traditional option model you got like a lot of space to work mathematically essentially you eliminate one variable and you can just create a lot of new things
0: the word perpetual is something that's a bit Out there already in the DeFi space and one of them is the perpetual futures so perpetual futures are basically the assets like ETH again there's no expiration so futures instead of options is really um, a derivative you have more capital efficiency with options with futures it's basically the entire underlying asset itself so with perpetual futures we have a few protocols doing that already how is perpetual options different from perpetual futures
1: so it's basically you don't need the entire underlying asset you only need a certain amount which gives you more exposure if you want to the market and also you know i I think another big difference is for them it requires like even like over leverage underlying asset right but for us the underlying asset is essentially not half and half with a, a certain underlying asset ratio for example you have one target asset and one stable coin underlying so essentially you don't need the whole backup and you have more exposure and i think that's the main reason and the main feature for perpetual options
0: with perpetual futures the counterparty will be a long position and a short position in perpetual options what is the counterparty that we're talking about over here
1: no matter it's perpetual futures or perpetual options it has two layers so in the first layer you have to call and put And the second layer is you have long call, short call, long put, and short put. So basically, from the traditional uh, perspective, the long party always need to pay to the short party because the short party, no matter they're shorting call or shorting put, they are responsible for creating the market for the long people. And essentially, you have to pay the so-called funding fees. And this isn't the difference between future or option. This is both features. But for us, we think if I'm doing a protocol, actually at the beginning of Endymeter, we were doing it. And basically you create a long call and short call token. So you have two token within the call, but you know we figure that there isn't any incentive apart from liquidity mining to incentivize the short call people. Why would I basically create a short call when Ethereum price is very strong? So we change our model. We make the two layers of logic into one. So now you we only have one call token and one short, and we make the responsibility to be fair for both sides. Essentially both sides you're looking for leverage with different direction. So we eliminate the long and short basic logic. Uh, within our model. So now you only have call and put token against each other. It's, uh, you can think it as a straddle strat- model. I think this part is a little bit complicated.
0: Can you summarize again who will be the counterparty in this case? Because the whole point of antimatter is that when you have one thing open, you have a, the NT of that matter to even it out because at the end of the day, this is a zero-sum game. So if you don't have the other side, Who's taking the risk? Is, who's your counterparty risk?
1: So basically, in our new model, it doesn't require if you have a call, there has to be a put. Essentially, everyone can be like holding a call and it can be like no one holding the put token. So what's different is the underlying. Essentially, if more and more people holding the call token, the call token price will go up, right? When the call token price goes up, There will be arbitrage opportunities. Essentially, people can redeem their call and sell the Ethereum underlying and get immediate profit. There isn't like long or short in the model. And basically there are two counterparty. The first counterparty is when you generate more put, there will be more USDT in the underlying. And when you generate the call, there will be more Ethereum. But you two parties share the same pool. This is the first one. And the second one is arbitragers, they will help to uh, remove the counterparty forces through immediate profit-making through arbitrage opportunities. As you can see, this is way easier because we no longer talk about long or short. Like the recent article published by uh, Paradigm, the problem with their model was a model in antimatter at the very beginning which is you can create this very fancy model but when you come into place no one is providing liquidity for the short position right who will do the short call and who will do the short put if there is no funding fee
0: another question that will has is that with perpetuals on with no without any liquidation what is the counterparty of the underwater position
1: okay so It's a very interesting question. Let's say we're currently having the Ethereum option from 3,000 and it's almost 3,000, right? And if it goes below 3,000, the call price, will the call token should go to zero because we will try to redeem from the protocol. You cannot redeem anything out. The interesting part is because this call token, although because it's tradable, so basically someone. Some opportunities can basically buy those call tokens at zero price because they think whenever in the future there is a day when Ethereum comes back up to 3000 they can still profit from it. So from theoretical value, when it goes underwater, your call token will equal to zero. But it probably won't because someone will just buy, see the opportunity and just buy. So it will always have some value. And also, the second is, if you do not redeem your token, which you cannot redeem anything out at that point, you can always basically uh, go back and redeem something in the future when it's back in the range.
0: You you guys recently upgraded the anti options model to a version 2. In version 1, it is a different model. In, in the current version now, you use something that is quite similar to how the virtual AMMs work, but not in the exact same way, but in the idea of an invariant. So let's explain a little bit more of virtual AMMs and perpetual protocols. With perpetual protocols, as you mentioned, there is this funding rate available. The long pays the short and everything is done in the same pool. Like you mentioned, all the assets are in the same pool, and you are basically funding each other at a specific time period. So you guys are not doing that. You guys use a very different model in your new model. Instead of getting that the invariant where a b equals k, your invariant here, your constant is the constant of the ratio of the calls and puts. Can you explain that a little bit further?
1: Our model is uh, completely different from virtual AMM. Their idea is pretty smart, but you know it's not a really uh, option, right? What they're doing is basically create a virtual environment where you come in everyone's on leverage, then you can do a lot of things with your virtual token, and then we you come out of the reality is underlying asset backed. Both of us have the pool in the middle, but the pool is for different purposes. So for us, the call token and put token, they have an underlying asset ratio, right? When you generate a call token, you're essentially readjusting the underlying asset ratio, so there will be more Ethereum and less USDT in the model and and vice versa for the call token. And basically, the call token and put token price are not managed by any price oracles. It's basically derived from those underlying assets, which, I mean, our charger can work through. And I think the main difference is uh, basically for virtual AMMs, they're not really doing the two forces. They still have the long and short. But for us, we do not have long and short. We're only going straight to the the call input. put. And also on the mathematical level, we did not use basically their equation. Basically we invented uh, our own equation, which is different because in our equation, uh, there are four uh, major variables. The first is the price uh, range. Price floor and price seating are the very two important value factor in our equation. As you can see, it's basically C minus F and the rest is basically the underlying asset adjustment mechanisms.
0: To summarize what you mentioned, the difference between the new model that you've created against the you know virtual AMMs, that's something that people are a little bit more comfortable with because they understand AMMs a bit better thanks to Uniswap, is that instead of the invariant being the sum of assets, the assets in the pool, like USDT versus ETH, it can fluctuate very widely depending on the price of the underlying, And you guys create your own mathematical model, which I've seen, and you are standardizing a bit more of the ratio of calls and puts instead of the sum of assets in your liquidity pool.
1: Yeah, exactly. So um, this is a big difference from our approach before because we realize that mathematically it's almost impossible to maintain a constant for the underlying asset pool. So we put less emphasis on that mathematical relationship, and we put more emphasis on whether uh, people can arbitrage smoothly, whether it's sensitive enough to reflect the underlying asset price fluctuation. Essentially, we put arbitraging as a more priority relationship than the constant what you said is correct
0: let's look at one last thing on the options before we move on to nfts there are so many DeFi options protocol out there why is antimatter different and how is antimatter different
1: firstly we're the only one who built out a original model which does not rely on any traditional uh, option model or central exchange model and uh, when we release our product, the product will be very different from central exchanges. Essentially, you will be just generating or redeeming call and put tokens to have leverage. And also it's leverage embedded. You don't decide your leverage. Uh, basically the call token or put token, they have determined leverage prices when they are minted. So it's basically, you can even calculate from the model. So I think our way of building this is very different. It can be bad. It can be good. If people really think it's an easy way to leverage, they will just use this instead of going to uh, the traditional route. But, you know, uh, it takes time to educate people. And also it takes time for us to keep improving the model to make it more competitive.
0: Yeah, I think OPEN, O P Y N. I think they're trying. They're looking to build that. And then there's this very famous paper of everlasting options that was circulating a couple of months ago. That thing looks very similarly to what you guys have already done.
1: I think um, it's very different, actually. So if you look at their model, they still have price, right? The price is in the equation. And for us, we had some similar ideas in February. And that's what people accuse us for. Because we spent like four months building this model and people think we are just lazy. And the reality is when you try to take out the price from the equation, it's next level, right? Because we don't want to rely on price oracles. And how how can you do that? You need to rearrange the motivation for underlying asset, uh, basically management. And essentially the first big difference is they rely on oracles and we do not. And the second is they still haven't solved the problem of who is providing the short in their model the latest paper it seems like every single hour the long position need to pay the short position for the funding fees just for the responsibility of short providing the market and is that attractive anymore like for antimatter if you hold a call position if you buy it you don't need to pay any other fees you can hold forever or for them they would just constantly drain your position through founding fees. I don't think that's very attractive to most of the people, especially on DeFi. So there are two major differences between mm-hmm.
0: us and everlasting. And there's another product that you guys launched recently is financial NFTs. NFTs are huge and financial NFTs makes just intuitively make sense because if you are tokenizing a specific position or tokenizing a specific kind of portfolio, that's where the NFT comes in. So do you want to share a little bit more about what are financial NFTs?
1: If we look at NFT from a very fundamental level, it's basically a container, right? NFT is not something that's fancy. I mean, in art, you can think it as a container. You put your digital work there and just show your NFTs. In financial space, when you say something's a container, you can link to two things. One is basket a basket for asset and the other is changing. You can change your asset into different categories and do a lot of stuff. We think that's how NFT can be valuable in financial space because we do see a lot of uh, basket for asset, for example, ETFs uh, trading in the traditional market. And NFT is even better because you can insert your real asset into this NFT. And this NFT is like a certificate for their underlying asset. And that's why we did a very simple experiment. We launched this platform, which is the ETFs for so the spot. But, you know, there's another piece, which is trenching, which is you can allocate different, uh, your asset into different category. And that's, that's another area which is worth exploring.
0: Absolutely agree. I think I think that's gonna be the next area. There are a few protocols looking into trenching, but the space is huge and looking at trenching in a more like elegant way in which you tokenize your position will actually make a lot of sense to the space. So so far we've talked about options. We have talked about ETFs and NFTs. The options piece, you don't need a native token for that. With the NFT, you're basically tokenizing your position. So you don't need your native token for that. So Where does your native token come in? How does it help boost up the value of your entire protocol?
1: Okay, so I think whether DeFi protocol needs a token has been debated for a while. And if you look at the economic paper published by a lot of economists, I mean, real economists, not crypto economists, there are basically two effects of token, right? Let's talk about the traditional economic effect. And it can basically serve two things. And it's really only two things. Um, first is it can be a, a payment uh, of transaction within your system, and the second is it's reduce the, the endogenous professional endogenous uh, user product uh, user fluctuation in your model. And in plain word, it basically improves your user loyalty because when your user holding your token, essentially it can a more long-term, basically a solid user base. And this is basically from traditional economists. And from a crypto standpoint, I think these two are, are, are very meaningful and obvious. First is basically, we do need to have payment, right? And if the payment fee is in form of Ethereum, but you know we, we need to do the buyback and distribute it to stakers through non-inflationary staking, and basically that's how the protocol accrues its own value, right? And the second thing is user base. straight up example. If, you, if Sushi doesn't have a token, do you think Sushi can be this successful? And this is basically a good example, a textbook example, showing how a token can maintain a loyal user base and help you to bootstrap from the beginning. And I think let's like be very honest and not talk about the very fancy economics. I think these two points are valid enough to prove a token is useful in any type of protocols.
0: Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. So let's open the floor to questions because you guys have a lot of questions here. So the first one is, when is staking going to be available?
1: To talk about staking, I think I need to walk a little bit through the whole stuff, right? So basically, uh, in the token, since it's also economics lesson, I think we can discuss a little. For a token, you basically have two effects, which is one is financial effect, and two is fat, the traditional basically, economic effect. And traditional economic effect is related to the productivity of your platform, the user base, etc. And the financial aspect is basically, Uh, your token price, whether your token price have liquidity or fluctuate a lot. So from my point of view, when you design a token, you shouldn't basically mix the two effects together. Essentially, from our point of view, we are building the protocol. The only thing we can do is link tokenomics to the traditional effect, which is how to accrue value when there's productivity or when when there's basically GDP coming out of the protocol and basically that leads us to our staking model because for my style i i'm not like a very pro farming person because i think farming legitimately it's not like economic it's not economics it's basically a more like a marketing effect right it's more marketing tool instead of uh, economic design and I think uh, non-inflationary staking is more valuable because that's how you can maintain the current status while you can bring value to the economy. And inflation would only come when there is necessity in your protocol to in- increase the whole capacity. This is how traditional economics work, and they should be how token works. But right now in DeFi space, people always mix the financial to the traditional economic fact. When they see the high APY and they just AP in, and they basically value the quality of the protocol through APY, you're essentially like comparing the financial aspect to the real economic aspect, which is not very long-term. And you saw a lot of those farming uh, basically failed. And also that answers your question. Essentially, we are building this staking model and it has two piece, one is staking for service Uh, which is basically in the future, you have to stake some token to create your option market. And this is non-inflationary. And also for normal users, uh, you can stake to accrue the the network fees. And this is also non-inflationary. And the inflation will come in when the product is working and when the governance style is fully in place. That's a basic uh, answer to this question.
0: Is there any plans to integrate with the ADA chain?
1: Uh, I think they just have their smart contract rolling out. We need to do a little bit of research, but uh, our first approach is first, we need to launch this Ethereum uh, mainnet, I think in a few weeks, because uh, PackShield is currently reviewing reviewing our contract. And they said it takes like two weeks, but you know, the time should be about right. And then uh, if it's rolling out, we can easily deploy to BSC and also OEVM chains. For Solana Polkadot ADA, which is abnormal, they have some basically their own smart contract way uh, and they're using different languages. I think it will take some more time. But, you know, if we see the traction on ADA, we will definitely consider it.
0: Going back to the, the call prices, what happens if call token price goes to zero and the underlying asset keeps jumping?
1: Uh, the underlying asset wouldn't keep dumping because whenever there is a call position or put position generate or redeem, you essentially have an inflow or outflow of the under, underlying asset. So you really uh, cannot drain the whole pool if there is still liquidity in the call or put.
0: So basically in this part where if let's say it's a Doge versus USDT, and Doge, because the SEC decides to to cancel all Doge, and Doge coin just plummets. So in that sense, as long as the common pool has Doge coins, in that doesn't matter what the price is in USDT, there will still be enough liquidity, not in USD term price, but in terms of the quantity of Doge coin, to allow the trade to continuously happen.
1: I think I misunderstood the question. The question is whether the market price of the under, underlying pump. Okay. Uh, so basically, whenever there's even a small fluctuation, there will be arbitrage opportunities, right? Let's say uh, the Dogecoin uh, plump. What happens is those people who are holding the pool tokens, they can start to redeem. And basically, the system will go back to balance to follow the price of the Dogecoin plump. So the pool token will, price will increase because there will be less put token and the call token price will plump with Dogecoin. So uh, there will be obvious arbitrage opportunity because of that.
0: What is your competition or what competition do you expect?
1: For us right now, uh, we haven't seen anyone doing our approach. Uh, So the specific uh, model, we haven't seen the competition yet because we invented the model. But uh, in the derivative space, we do see some competition like OPN, um, Perpetual Protocol these are the obvious competitions but you know product offered by us is very different from them and we have to basically analyze it when we launch it since uh, it's not a very similar stuff to analyze like other DeFi protocols
0: morty has a very good question i definitely forgot to ask that thanks for the question morty what is the project's main pricing model and what's it relevant to your liquidity and economic growth
1: basically because we does not rely on oracles, everything will through, the pricing will be maintained by arbitrageurs. So whenever the Ethereum, let's say Ethereum price goes up, what can happen easily is if the call token price is still at the current state, people who are holding call token, they saw, they can see the opportunity because when they start to redeem out of Ethereum and sell to the market, they can make immediate profit. And those are markups, which are attractive enough for people to redeem. So they will push it, the call price up, follow the Ethereum, and vice versa. So this arbitrage uh, mechanism is as simple as you just comparing the, um, uh, the targeting asset value with the underlying asset of the uh, call and put. And you can start to generate or redeem the call and put price. So yeah, that's our pricing model. And it's not Oracle.
0: How do you settle the the price differences? How often do you settle them as well?
1: Anyone can settle it because uh, I I would assume someone will build a bot to keep tracking it because they will make the the immediate profit. So it's up to the public who can settle.
0: So in that sense, the protocol focuses very much on allowing you to create a perpetual options position of the underlying And then the secondary market, that's where arbitragers come in to level out the prices. And so you don't need to rely on oracles, just relying on basic economic incentives for people to come in and make profits and help to level out the price difference.
1: Yes, um, that is correct.
0: So how is this pricing model related to your liquidity and economic growth?
1: Okay, so this is quite interesting because we currently have a version on Testnet, right? If you look at it, it has three pieces: which is option creation, option uh, exercise option trading. So we figure out that if we require people after they generate a call and they have to provide Uniswap liquidity, this third step is very difficult and not many people want to provide liquidity and require some um, basically knowledge to do that. So we package these two together, which is for the new release. When you try to buy a call token, you're essentially, you just generate one from the protocol. And the generation is the process is as simple as you put a ERC20 in, and we will use Uniswap Smart Router to allocate your asset into their target asset underlying and the stable coin. And basically and put in the vault. So essentially our liquidity is Uniswap's liquidity. We no longer need to provide liquidity for call and put tokens. So this way we have access to the deep uniswap liquidity and not be worried about lack of liquidity for call token and put token. So we think this product adjustment really improves the liquidity status of the protocol. And the economic growth is basically whenever there is more call and put token generated, the underlying vault will have more uh, value. I think that's quite obvious way to evaluate.
0: So just to clarify on the liquidity part again, every time you're opening a call put position, when you're activating the smart contract to allow the position to be created, it interacts with both the position that is from the anti protocol and also helps you to open an LP position on Uniswap pool?
1: No, let me rephrase it. So in our old model, uh, we separate uh, the two steps, right? When you generate the call token, and if you want to be a market maker, you need to go to Uniswap and being an LP of the call token, right? Essentially, and, and basically for normal users in the old version, they have to go to Uniswap to buy the call and put tokens. But we think this is this complicated stuff. So in the next release, what we are doing is we abandon the providing liquidity for the call token on Uniswap part because we no longer need that pool and basically we change the logic to when you try to generate the call token you're essentially buying it so instead of going to uniswap you can just buy through antimatter and you Mm -hmm. can buy as much as you want because the liquidity is from uniswap the underlying asset liquidity
0: so instead of going to uniswap to buy different assets they only protocol that a trader can interact with or the trader interacts with is the anti-meta protocol because your back-end logic, mm-hmm. if you need liquidity for ETH or USDT, that goes directly into the liquidity provided by Uniswap. Yes. Does this make Uniswap your counterparty?
1: Um, no, we are accessing their liquidity because for us, what we care is uh, when we generate or redeem or generate the call token or pull token, we need the underlying asset right, to put in the vault and where do we access those assets? Essentially is when you generate one, you can pay us in any ERC-20, not pay us, pay the smart contract and the smart contract will allocate, for example, if you come in a Doge, the smart contract will allocate your Doge into, for example, 40% Ethereum and 60% USDT and put in the vault. And Uniswap is important for us in the way that it has deep enough liquidity so that any ERC-20 come in have liquidity that allow us to settle in the two underlying assets.
0: It's a big improvement from, you know, Open's version 2 model because Open's version 2 model uses something similar that you mentioned in your version 1, which has some limits, which is what you mentioned, on opening a position and then maintaining an LP. And then there is also liquidity problems as much as Uniswap has very deep liquidity to allow trade to happen, you're not really fully tapping into Uniswap's deep liquidity. But with your model 2, with your version 2, you're able to tap into that to allow for your transactions to take place on the front end. Because the users don't care on the back end where it comes from, where liquidity is. All you need to do is, I know there's liquidity, I know I can trade here, I know that I can have a perpetual position of this underlying asset, that's good enough for me. Everything else at the back end, they don't have to care about. They don't have to think about because that's not what they want to do.
1: Right. And also, you know, because of Uniswap smart routing from user experience perspective, what they're seeing is, okay, I can just use any ERC-20 to buy the call token. They don't need to be worried about all the asset reallocation stuff. Uh, It's all happening underneath. And when we build a basically solid underlying asset pool it can be easily tapped into like, you're involved to generate more interest. I think that's quite easy to do and not worth mentioning. Yeah.
0: One last question. Based on everything that you've learned about building an options protocol and building these different you know, mathematical models of pricing options, what will be one recommendation you would give to anyone who's interested to build, explore, or improve options protocols that we have today?
1: So I think the advice I gave to it's not only option like to code DeFi protocol is we should just stop copy others you know like there are enough things to work on that people haven't worked on yet and basically there are a lot of new model that needs to be built for DeFi and I think we should just like people should just start to innovate in new models instead of just like copy anything and just make a little adjustment and launch a new
0: projects. absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I think the space is big enough for new ideas to develop, and there's enough opportunities and demand for new ideas, new financial products, new financial models, new protocols. So there's no need to copy. Just use your brain a little bit and brainstorm on how to improve the existing inefficient market that we have. Thank you very much, Jack. Let me summarize that what we've talked about today. So we talked about antimatter, which is another options protocol. But this is very different because this is Perpetual Options. Just like we have Perpetual Futures, Perpetual Options is better in the sense that it's more capital efficient. And of course, there are a lot of other risks tied to that and everything. But this is a brand new derivative that you don't see in the DeFi space. And this is also a brand new derivative that you don't see in the CFI, or traditional finance space. because. Everlasting options, perpetual options, or options that do not expire, they are very, very new in the space. That's something that we have not seen ever yet. And this can be done thanks to blockchain. So there are a lot of improvements that you guys have done, a lot of innovations, a lot of new models, a lot of new creation and innovation from the Antimatter guys. So definitely do check them out. There's a lot of information on Medium. Check out their Discord, check out their Twitter. Keep following their model because very interesting protocol. So thank you very much, Jack, for your time and thank you for sharing all these questions.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Rulisa. Yeah, uh, I think uh, if you have more questions, yeah, you can just reach out to me and happy to answer any questions or any suggestions. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you very much and thank you, everyone, and speak to you guys soon. Bye! Thank you so much for staying throughout this entire video. If you're interested to learn more and you want to join the community, do check out our Discord, check out our Academy, and you get to watch these videos for free as well without any ads and also grab the book that I've talked about earlier on. The book summarizes a lot of what we're trying to build, what we're trying to design, and the different aspects that can be changed during the entire design process. We also just launched Econteric. Econteric is really economics plus esoteric because this space is so complicated and so difficult. What we want to do is to make it easier for anyone to come and learn and be part of this system. So in Econteric, we are breaking down the different analytics and different data to give you more insights, to understand the robustness from a very fundamental level of the health of this ecosystem. So check out econteric.com, and I'll see you there. Bye!